Now, Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Here's your host, Chris Story. Today on Millionaire, the golden goose egg. A story about an investor who laid a goose egg that was golden. Yeah, it's a strange fairy tale. Plus, think like a millionaire and when the media got it all wrong. What a great show. I'm so grateful you're here. If you miss an episode of The Backyard Millionaire, fear not. You can always go to our website, ilovehomeralaska.com forward slash podcasts. They're all there for you. Got a reputation I want to give you to live up to. Words matter and are so important. New book out by Jonah Berger. I've invited him to be a guest here on the program. I hope he takes us up on that. His new book is called Magic Words. And I want to go over a couple different ideas behind the words in and the ideas in his book. And I think that they could help you. And uh, they've certainly helped me already. And I'm just barely scratching the surface of this groundbreaking book called Magic Words. This is going to sound self-serving, but truly it's not. I don't intend it to be self-serving. My brand new book, The Watchman, comes out July 1. In the meantime, having an audiobook produced, Michael Dukes is narrating, it's going to be phenomenal. No matter what, Michael Dukes is the kind of narrator that could pick up the phone book and I'd listen. He's just got a real talent for acting and voice work. So I'm so excited to hear my own book through his mouth. That sounds weird. But it's called The Watchman. Comes out July 1. In the meantime, here's what I'd like. I would like to give away five advanced reading copies in electronically, PDF version of the book because I need your help. Just before we go to final press, I need your help. I need to know a couple of things, not a lot. Number one, do you find it interesting? You better. Number two, uh, any little glitches. I had a book come out one time and one of my friends picked up a copy of the book immediately. It was called The Backyard Millionaire. And in fact, it's still the glitch is still in the book. I almost don't want to tell you because if you get the book, I'd rather you just kind of skim over it rather than keep looking for it. But he, he found this little tiny glitch. And I was like, man, I wish he'd have read that before we hit publish. That would have been helpful. Because my editor didn't catch it, no offense, she does a great job, but it was in dialogue. And you get away with things in dialogue in the editing process that you do not get away with in the, the regular body of the text. So in the dialogue, I think she's just a little less aggressive. Let this little thing slip through. And I just thought, man, never again. Next book that goes to press, I'm going to have some advanced readers out there. I would like one of them to be you. I'm only going to do this with five people. If you're interested, again, it's called The Watchman. It's the first novel in my Jacob Mann series, The Making of Man. Short story is already out there. It's wonderful, by the way. You should pick up a copy. It's great. It really is. And The Watchman's going to be just as great, if not greater. And it's a novel. It's novel length. And so I'd like to send this arc to you, advanced reading copy, in a PDF, in an email, and ask you to read it in the next 10 to 12, 15 days and give me your feedback while I still have time to correct a stupid mistake. So if you're interested in that, if you're, you would like to read a novel before it comes out, text message me your, just text message me the word book at 
And I'll send you an advanced reading copy. I'm only going to do this with five people. And I, my only expectation is if you find some dumb error, you'll tell me about it. So let's talk about a reputation to live up to. Because words matter in how you do everything in life. And there, this great book that I mentioned before, Magic Words by Jonah Berger, I want to give you just a really simple example. Because if you've ever had kids or been around kids, you know that time to clean up is the least cooperative time of the day. It's like, what do you, well, okay, going to bed and then time to clean up. Like, to clean, clean up the toys. Come on, clean up. Pick up your room. Those words are empty. Here are the words that matter. Here are the words that will change everything. And this is a simple thing, and you can test this today. And it's, it's about that giving a rep- reputation to live up to, changing what, what, what Jonah Berger describes this as, is taking a verb and making it a noun. So, for example, uh, let's just say that your son's name is Logan. Say, Logan, time to clean your room. Clean up now. Help clean up, Logan. And uh, here's a better way to say it. Logan, it's time to be a helper. So you take the verb, you turn it into a noun. Now you've given your child a reputation to live up to. We want to, as children and as adults, we want to help people. We want to be of help. We want to feel useful. We want to feel significant. We want to matter. And the words that we assign to ourselves or to your children, if you're raising children, carry an identity. So uh, I'll give you an example. Talked about the fact that, that I have this new book coming out. I'm an author. I'm a writer. I'm an author. Now, a number of years ago, I gave myself that reputation to live up to by putting on a website, an early iteration of a website, probably 10, 12 years ago, before I published my first book. And I put author on there. In my bio, on that website, I put author. And I'm not kidding, several people, for no reason, came at me and said, wait a minute, you're not an author. What have you written? And I said, well, I'm just giving myself a reputation to live. I'm just assigning that to myself now because this is what I want to do, who I want to become. And I took some ridicule from some people, but it didn't bother me. And it shouldn't bother you. If you want to become an investor, say, for example, then you have to learn to save. And in the process of learning to save and in the process of becoming that investor, you identify as an investor. So let your verbs become your noun. From now on, um, my, my example on that is for myself, my own self as an author, I now have three books in print, a fourth coming, and I'm working on a fifth. So I'm full-on author, working towards becoming a best-selling author. There's, whole, there's power in that language as well. I remember one time Robert Kiyosaki was interviewed by somebody. I don't remember if it was a Forbes magazine. It was some big publication. And the woman said to him, she, this author, the, um, excuse me, the interviewer said, I really want to be an author myself. And he said, well, why don't you just become this? She goes, well, I, I just don't want to go out and sell my book. I, I just don't understand sales. I don't like sales. And he goes, look, I'm a best-selling author, not a best-writing author. And she just took such offense at that, like that he was uh, talking about how he wanted to sell more books. And it's like, again, it's language. Being a salesperson is an identity. And so those words carry power versus just, oh, I want to be a literary figure in, you know, known throughout history. So, well, okay, but just check your language 
and let your verbs become a noun. For example, again, just, and all I have is my own self to study. So I'm giving you examples from my life, not because I matter more than anybody else. It's just these are examples in my life that I can identify with what Jonah's talking about. So I, I didn't say I like to run. I, when I made the decision to, be, to, to run and to get more physically fit, I said, I'm a runner. I'm a runner. And that's an, that's an identity. That's turning a verb into a noun. Uh, reading, for example. Do you like to read or are you a reader? Do you like coffee or are you a coffee lover? Want to invest? Well, then it's time to become an investor. So I'll touch on a few more words. Jonah Berger also, this is a quick little aside, cites a study that was done in the 1970s, believe it or not. And because uh, I, I say believe it or not, because I didn't really realize that there were Xerox machines in the 70s. I'm a child of the 70s, but I wasn't certainly making copies. So uh, apparently the, the copy machine did exist in the 70s. And a study was done in New York at public libraries. And so what they did was they would have somebody lay in wait at a table nearby the, the Xerox machine. And when somebody would get to the Xerox machine, they would let them open the lid put down the item that they were going to photocopy, and then the, the scientist, the person involved in the study, would interrupt them and say, oh, excuse me, may I please make my copy first? And they did a study, and 30% of the time, the person would just for no reason say, okay, which means 7 out of 10 people said no. Okay, remember that. 30% said, okay, and moved aside and let the, the person doing the study, let them cut the line and get ahead of them, even though they'd already put their thing down on the photocopier. So three out of 10 said yes, seven out of 10 said no. They added a word. Just one word made all the difference. Can you guess what that word was? Are you thinking please? No, that isn't the word. The word was because what it doesn't even make sense it it does when you think about it when a reason was given it didn't matter the reason so they studied different reasons it didn't matter when you added because the acceptance and the 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 allowance of you to skip ahead went up to 80 percent eight out of ten said sure and stepped aside they might have been thinking something besides sure but they complied because the person said, excuse me, and they did it the exact same verbiage every time, excuse me, may I please make my copy be before you, and then because I'm in a hurry, or because I only have five pages to copy, either of those reasons following the word because increased the acceptance and the, the, the allowance, the success of the mission, if you will, from 30 to 80%. Isn't that fascinating? So remember, turn your verbs into nouns and just think about the words you're using in your own life. Think about the words you're using in public and never forget what Dale Carnegie said. A person's name is the sweetest sound on earth. I'm Chris Story. When we return to The Millionaire Show, we're gonna talk about when the media Got it all wrong on real estate. Stick around.
if I had a way of buying a couple hundred thousand single-family homes and I, and had a way of managing, the management is enormous. It was really a problem because they're one by one. They're not like apartment houses. So, but. I would load up on them, and I would I would take mortgages out at very very low rates. I wanna be a billionaire, so freaking bad. Buy all of the things I never had. I wanna be on the cover of Forbes mm-hmm. magazine. Come on, who doesn't? Smiling next to Oprah and the Queen. Oh, every time I close my eyes. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. Somebody asked me the other day, are you going to have a sequel called The Backyard Billionaire? Maybe one day, guys got to have dreams. Why not? The Backyard Billionaire. That's got a ring to it. I'm Chris Story, along with your producer and engineer, Mr. David Webb. Thank you for being here. Thank you for those of you that have raised your hand. Two copies of the book left. I'm looking for early readers. Give away an advanced reading copy. Got two left for my new Jacob Mann thriller called The Watchman. If you want to receive a copy, got two left. Text message me the word book. Or some have said book baby. Send it at 907-299-7653. All right, let's get into when the media got it wrong. You're probably thinking, wouldn't it be easier to say when the media got it right? (laughs) Yes, you would be correct. In his book, Real Estate 101, Gary Eldred lays out a series of articles, and it's absolutely fascinating, that these are just headlines and dates when they were published, When the media got it so wrong on real estate, he says, for the past 60 years, this was written in 2006, by the way, for the past 60 years, economists, Wall Street analysts, and other supposed financial experts have wrongly predicted the end of real estate. He said, let's take a quick trip through their far off forecasts from years gone by. Okay, so here's the list. Again, these are headlines only, and and I'm going to tell you what year. Ready? This is from Time Magazine, right? Time Magazine, well-respected, especially in 1947. The headline read like this. The prices of houses seem to have reached a plateau, and there's a reasonable expectancy that prices will soon decline. It's 1947. Time Magazine, predicting the end of real estate. Uh, Here's another one. This from Science Digest, 1948. Houses cost too much for the mass market. Today's average price is around $8,000, out of reach for two-thirds of all buyers. Here's another one from House Beautiful. If you bought a house since the war, you've made your deal at the top of the market. The days when you couldn't lose on a house purchase are no longer with us. November 1948. House Beautiful said that. All right, well, here's what Business Week reported in 1969. The goal of owning home seems to be getting beyond the reach of more and more Americans. The typical new house today costs $28,000. 
if I had a Wayback Machine, I wouldn't even have to go all the way back to 1969. Do you realize that? Do you realize if you had a Wayback Machine, you could simply go back to 2002, 2006, 08, 2019. Hello. Is this thing on? <laughs> NEA, the National Education Association, this is their journal in 1970, said, be suspicious of the common wisdom that tells you to buy now because continuing inflation will force home prices and rents higher and higher. Be suspicious of that, they say. That was in 1970. In California, for example, writes John Wesley English, it is not unusual to find families of average means buying $100,000 houses. I'm confident prizes, prices have surpassed their all-time peak. That was in 1980. But guess what he was selling? He was selling a book entitled The Coming Real Estate Crash. Of course you'd write that headline, wouldn't you? Here's from Money Magazine, 1981. The era of easy profits in real estate may be drawing to a close. Think about that hostile idea of easy profits. Like, But, you know, I will say... Throughout all of this time, throughout the history and, and what the media is probably reacting to to an extent is that there have been just as many wrong headlines as there have been hucksters, slick con artists, and snakeskin oil sales type people. So I get it. I get it. There probably are. It's not here. It's not you. You and me. We don't talk about easy profits and flipping this and, and 10x your profits in less than a year. We're talking about buy and hold equals gold, how real wealth is created where you are with what you've got. How to become a backyard millionaire isn't something that we equate in weeks, days, months. It's, it's, it's a process of becoming. And, and maybe that's why I take such offense at these kinds of headlines. We're talking about easy profits. Well, who's preaching easy profits? Uh, I guess there are some people out there doing that. Here's another one from Money Magazine, 1985. The golden age of, of risk-free run-ups and home prices is gone. Risk-free run-ups, golden age, gone. Here's one from the Miami Herald, October of 1985. If you're looking to buy, be careful. Rising home values are not a sure thing anymore. Wow, that's really wrong. <laughs> predictably, predictably wrong. But it's the media. It's the way the media looks at real estate. And they get it wrong almost every single time. Uh, here's one, Money Magazine again, 1986. And you got to love this. Whenever you see most, beware. Most economists agree. Isn't that like, you know, two out of three dentists agree on this particular toothbrush or whatever? Who's that third one, by the way? What's... Anyway, most economists agree a home will become little more than a roof and a tax deduction. Certainly not a lucrative investment. <laughs> right? Yeah, thank you, Money Magazine. I wonder what stock you were pitching that day. Here's one. Uh, we'll skip that one. Oh, LA Times, 1993. Okay, we're getting a little more modern. We're starting to go back to a time when you bought a home, not for its potential money-making abilities, but rather a nesting spot. L.A. Times, 1993. In other words, don't expect to make any money in real estate. Yeah, that's over, but at least you have a place to sleep. 
Eh. Kiplinger's reports in 1993 also, financial planners agree, see most economists agree, financial planners agree, that houses will continue to be a poor investment. Financial planners agree. Oh, gee, uh, what would those financial planners like to sell you instead? Hmm, maybe their instruments instead of real estate. Yeah, no, <laughs> no conflict of interest here. San Francisco Examiner reported in 1996, a home is where the bad investment is. Wow. Unbelievable. Could you even read one of these periodicals or magazines again if you saw something this ridiculous? Um, Robert Schiller in 2005 this is the most modern of them all. Again, the book was published in 2006, so he could have kept, Gary could keep updating this if he wanted to. Um, again, this is from Robert Schiller, a Yale economist. But the real question is, how will housing prices look long-term? As I've said in the past, I do not think that housing values will be higher in five to 10 years from now. <laughs> Yale economist. Um, Tiffany asked me this morning, we're talking about this uh, consultancy we're, we're uh, ramping up. And she asked me, what is the average price of a home now? And the average price of a home is going to vary based on region. But by and large, you could say 400000 I mean, you know, by and large. It, it's going to vary. This isn't predictive necessarily where you are. But on average in America right now, I think it's safe to say 400000 Could be three eighty, could be three fifty, could be four eighty, But somewhere in that median range there, four hundred. And when that article was written in 2005, what was the average price? 292. Couldn't have been more wrong. But I like to take a positive approach. I never want to just mix the negative and criticize the media for getting it all wrong because even throughout time, uh, there have been some people that get it right. And what matters most and what you and I as backyard millionaires focus on is attitude. Here is the guru of attitude adjustments, Mr. Les Brown. Sometimes we take life too seriously. Oh no. Make a commitment to be happy. Find little things just to get tickled about and laugh. Find ways to be happy in the moment. A lot of people say, well, I'll be happy when I pay off all my bills. No, no, no. I'll be happy when I get my divorce. Oh, no, no, no. I'll be happy with the children gone. Oh, no, no. You want to be happy now. See, there are no guarantees. No one says you're going to be here two, three or four years from now. So you want to be happy right now, make a commitment to be happy because life now has new meaning for you. Just enjoying the sunset or just looking at life, looking at nature, going for a walk. It's the little things in life that counts. Here's something else that you want to begin to do in order to make this your decade. You want to begin to get all the toxic people out of your life. Hello. Energy graders, get them out of your life. See, ladies and gentlemen, it takes a lot of energy to reach your goal. It takes a lot of emotional, mental, and spiritual energy to reach your goal. And you can run faster with a hundred who want to go than with one around your neck. Oh, the never duplicable, duplicable Mr. Les Brown. Amazing. I love him. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. All right, speaking of headlines, here's one from Fortune Magazine. This is a brand new headline. Most housing analysts, again, do you see that? Nothing's changed over the last 60 years of journalism. 
Man, most housing analysts expect 2023 to be a rough year for the U.S. housing market. In fact, among the 29 major housing forecast models, 24 forecasted a national home price decline for all of 2023. Look, no matter what, don't get all your news here. No, you don't get all your news from Chris Story at Backyard Millionaire. No, of course not. Get your news from a wide variety of sources. I don't just look at Fortune Magazine. I take it. I don't, I don't take it as the gospel. I don't just look at Forbes. I don't just look at the Wall Street Journal. I don't just look at Investor Weekly. I just look at a variety of things and make my own decisions. I was talking with somebody earlier today. In, a, in an investor con consult, and I'm gonna share bits and pieces of that. Of course, nothing confidential or specific, but just some general things. And I'm gonna share that in a little bit. But one thing I wanted to say was, because this individual asked a very important question. Well, what if now's not the right time? Should I wait? And I'll get into more of that answer later, but I will tell you this. My answer was always be looking. My wife and I, Tiffany and I as business partners, made three investments strategically during the pandemic. Like no other time in history was there more uncertainty in America, at least in my lifetime. And yet we still said yes and moved forward and didn't think twice about what Fortune Magazine or Forbes or anybody else thought about it. We made our own decision. We're making our own path forward and so should you. I'm Chris Story. When we return, we're going to talk about rent to own. We're going to dive into a couple of more words right here on the Backyard Millionaire. Stick around. You're listening to the Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story. You can find me online at ilovehomeralaska.com. ilovehomeralaska.com. I want you to rent to own. People ask a lot about rent to own options. Are there any rent to owns available, lease options, these kinds of things? And it's very rare. It's almost impossible to put together a good rent-to-own scenario for both parties, both the seller and, and the prospective buyer. It's very difficult, and it doesn't happen very often. It's not that it cannot happen. It just doesn't happen very often. But I still suggest if you're renting, you rent to own. And I say to follow that up with, and one day you will. So it's more like a mindset is what I'm, what I'm proposing. So if you're renting currently, and you want to own, I'm saying rent to own as though you own, and one day you will. Napoleon Hill put it like this, whatever you can conceive and believe, you can achieve. But you've got to be able to conceive it first. So you have to be able to see yourself as an owner, which means you must have an owner's mind, an owner's mindset. Now, I do not want you as a tenant, as a renter, I don't want you repairing the roof out of pocket. I don't want you, um, you know, replacing a, a major system in the house. That's not your obligation. It's not your responsibility. But I want you to take an interest in it. I want you to understand how the systems work. And if there is a problem, you report it to your landlord, of course. But how about this? What about some small improvements? Can you get an agreement to paint? Maybe the paint isn't necessary. And by the way, not primary colors. <laughs> no, you've got to be able to think like an owner, which means you're not going to stylize the paint so much so that you have bubblegum pink on the walls of your daughter's room. I've seen this. You can't do it. 
don't do that. Nobody wants that. Maybe, maybe you did for a minute, but even after it's done, you're probably going, oh, milk was a bad idea on a hot day. It's not a good thing. So I want you to take an interest, though, and offer up some repairs, offer up some upgrades, offer up the ability to do something. I'm going to give you an extreme example. I'm not promoting this as an idea, but it's an extreme example in, a, in a, one of my rentals. Tiffany and I rented to a couple who had previously been owners. They brought their owner mindset to our rental house and rented it, by the way, for seven years. We loved them. And one day we were doing their move out because guess what? They had bought another home. But it, it, seven years, they bought another home. They had an owner's mindset. Well, we went through and I said, um, they were taking us through the house. This is the first time we'd been in in a while. And they said, yeah, we replaced this window last year. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. what? back up. What do you mean you replaced a window? What are you talking about? He said, yeah, um, a neighbor kid and my son were playing and uh, they, they, you know, I don't know which one did it, but they, they pitched a uh, errant baseball, boom, hit the window, cracked it. We just replaced it. I'm like, do you realize how rare that is? That is renting to own. That is rent like you own and one day you will. Whatever you can conceive and believe, you can achieve. If you can see yourself, conceive as an owner, again, that's a verb. Own is a verb. Owner is a noun. So that's again, that's going right back to Jonah Berger's magic words, seeing yourself as an owner versus just renting. See it, believe it, and you can achieve it. So yes, rent to own is alive and well, but you, you yourself have to put that into play. Let's carry this conversation forward. As long as we're talking about words here on the Backyard Millionaire, I mean, that's the whole concept behind it being becoming a backyard millionaire. Say it, own it right now, even if it's not 100% true on paper. If you can conceive and believe it, I promise you, you can achieve it. And we take that concept of words and let's take it to the next level. Going back to Jonah Berger's book, real quick, Magic Words. By the way, speaking of books, all the books are given out. Thank you. I'll be connecting with you, those of you that are advanced readers. You've raised your hands and said, yes, you'll be an advanced reader. I uh, ended up getting more than five, but I'm going to uh, select five of you, the first five, and uh, I'll be connecting with you to get your email address and uh, send that off to you as soon as the program's over. So going back to Jonah Berger's book, Magic Words, let's talk about can'ts and don'ts. He suggested you turn can'ts into don'ts. For example... Can't takes power away from you, he says, and puts that power on an outside force, an external force. When you can't do something, it's not within you. In other words, it takes a locus of control out of you, takes away your agency, and gives it to something else, some other force outside of you, and that's disempowering. And an empowering way to look at it is I don't. That keeps the locus of control. That keeps your personal responsibility paramount in this whole process. If you don't do something, it's on purpose. It's your purpose. It's because you do not want to. Like, for example, I don't cheat on my wife because she'd kill me. Puts the control outside of her. I don't cheat on my wife because I love her. Puts the control back on me. I can't eat that. I'm fat. That won't, that, it's almost as though the food made me fat. Like I, the food does it. I can't eat that. Versus I don't eat that. 
I'm fit or getting fit. It's a choice. So don't use words that take away your personal responsibility. Use words that add to your personal responsibility. I love that. Isn't that great? Can'ts to don'ts. Can't? No. Catch yourself saying can't. Flip it immediately and say, no, I don't. And again, that puts it, it puts you in control, and it's clearly a choice, and it's a choice you're making. It comes back to purpose. Here's some breaking news out of Germany. What a, what a great way to spend this man's time. He has actually broken the Guinness record for assembling a Mr. Potato Head blindfolded. What new has broke? Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head with her own cars and trailers. That's what's new. See, Mr. Potato Head has a car and boat trailer. And there's a car and shopping trailer for his wife, Mrs. Potato Head. It's such fun to do and so easy. Like this. Take any fruit or vegetable. Just stick in eyes, then ears, and then the mouth. You can make the funniest looking people in the whole world. Potato Head people look different every time you make them. Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head with cars and trailers come in one and two dollar size. She's got a smile that it seems to me reminds me of childhood memories. Her everything was as fresh as a bright blue sky. Now and then when I see her face, it takes me away to that special place. If you stare too long, I'll probably break down and cry. Boy, wasn't that a different era? The Mr. Potato, did you even know that Mr. Potato Head started out as just a kit that you would then apply to a potato? Which is it, by the way? Is it potato or potato? Eh, potato, potato, it doesn't matter. But that, that's really how Hasbro started out with the Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Only two. Hmm. It's weird. Anyway, uh, yeah, but you could, you could apply them to a potato or a cabbage or not a cabbage, but they had all kinds of vegetables they were talking about uh, in that little promotion. That was from the 19, I think it was 1962 is where I found that commercial. Wow. Times, they are a-changing. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm your host, Chris Story. So happy to be here with you. And I thank you just for, again, for tuning in and just making this a part of your Part of your week if you miss it or you sh you want to share it let's say for example with somebody go to my website ilovehomeralaska.com and you can just go to the podcast page and share it with somebody or you can go to itunes spotify amazon music it's all over the place online after the day of after the day of broadcast so we, we don't simulcast or stream but you can always find these episodes later uh, and i like it that way to be honest with you it's uh, it's more exciting it's like real radio but you can get it anywhere you want afterwards. I want to talk to you about The Magic of Thinking Big, written by Dr. David Schwartz in 1962. And he talked about a couple of things that I think are, I think, relevant to your life today even. And, and one is, do you have the brains to succeed? Well, that could sound a little insulting, doesn't it? Like, do you even have the brains to be successful at this or that? It's like, oh, how dare you, Dr. Schwartz? How dare you? My brain's as big as yours. Well, it's not what he means. He says that we have a tendency to do two, one of two things. Either you underestimate your own brain power or, well, I guess I would say also, you tend to overestimate the other person's brain power. Like I think what he's saying is you're selling yourself short. It's not about IQ. It's about your attitude. 
it's proven in many studies, study after study. In fact, he talks about it here in The Magic of Thinking Big. He said that a huge insurance company hired him. Again, this is in the early 60s. Hired him to find out why, listen to this, the top 25% of the company sales were going, no, it was 75%. That's what it was. 75% of all the sales were made by the top 25% of the salespeople. How is it possible? What are they doing differently? He measured their intellect. He measured their IQ. He gave them all kinds of aptitude tests. The only, the only significant difference between the bottom and the top performers, can you guess it? Attitude. And they genuinely loved people. They were positive. They didn't worry as much as other people. And they loved people. They truly liked people. And that made all the difference. And it reminded me of what Zig Ziglar used to say. That your altitude is determined by your attitude, not your aptitude. I just love that. Such a great book. He's also got four things you should stop doing if you want better health or maybe start doing. It's a combination. Trust me, it's good stuff from Dr. David Schwartz and the magic of thinking big. We'll talk about that. Plus, I've got real, real news you can use when we return here to the Backyard Millionaire. Stick around. You're listening to the Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are. With what you've got. I mentioned Gary Eldred's book, Real Estate 101. And I want to tell you the little tale about how he laid the golden goose egg. That's right. Gary sold a place for zero appreciation and was thrilled. What? What kind of fairy tale is this? What kind of sick, twisted fairy tale would be promoting a 12-year ownership of a property? And he sells it for not a dollar more than he paid. And he's thrilled. What a nut. Mm, not so fast. Here's how the numbers break down. He paid $100,000 for the property. Okay, it was a single family residence. He paid $100,000. All right, here's how he financed it. He owner financed it with $10,000 down. Easy math, right? He, he puts $10,000 down. That's all that he's got out of his pocket is the 10K. Annually, year upon year, he earned $2,500 net income. That means after operating expenses, after debt service, and after tax. So an after-tax, truly net operating income, or net income, I should say, to him, in his pocket, $2,500. All right. Um, that's a 25% annualized return on that initial investment of ten dollars That's not bad. Nobody's arguing those numbers, Right. Who else can offer you 20? I mean, where else can you get 25% return year upon year? Okay. So again, this is his golden goose egg and he loved it. He said he was also able to pay off the entire indebtedness in 10 years. He owned it for 12, but he paid it off at year 10 to the property owner. So he had no more debt to service and he owned it free and clear. And who paid it off, by the way? I said he did. He didn't. In fact, Gary did not pay it off. Gary didn't put another dollar into the investment of his own, out of his own pocket, beyond the 10000 So who paid off that $90,000 loan? That's right, the tenants did. So he used other people's money to pay off the loan. So he used first money, other people's money used was the homeowner. 
turned that into his money, and the tenants paid it off through that note over the 10 years. So here's how it breaks down and why Gary Aldred was thrilled to sell the property for the exact amount that he paid, using air quotes, what he paid, because that $10,000 investment now was worth $100,000 in his pocket, plus 12 years at $2,500 a month, a year, that's another 30 k So now he's got a, he took $10,000 and made $130,000 out of it. Well, of course he loved that investment. And his whole point in that chapter is to illustrate you don't need appreciation. It's, not, it's only one leg of the stool. Would he have taken more for the property if he could have gotten it? Of course. Of course. But he happened to be selling at the bottom. He happened to be selling it in a bit of a trough. So there's a really good chance over the 12 years that he owned that property, it went up to, say, $120,000 value or maybe one hundred and thirty, And then, boom, comes a, a little bit of a dip in the market, which happens every 10 years. Cyclically, it's true. You can't deny it. It's there. It's real math. So maybe he decided to sell in the trough. Why? I don't know. He had a better use for that hundred k. He had exhausted his interest in the property. Maybe he had exhausted the, the depreciation value was gone. It just wasn't as big of a, uh, a tax benefit for him. Or he just wanted another property. It doesn't matter. He was thrilled with a net goose egg on the 12-year the, the appreciation side of it simply for the fact that he got so much else out of it. It's a great perspective. It really is. So keep in mind, if you're looking in an area that you think, hmm, what if it doesn't appreciate in the next 10 years? Who cares if you structure the rest of the deal right? That's just one of the values is appreciation. It's called phantom income. Love it. But you don't have to realize it to win. Hey, what do you call a detective who's also a real estate agent? You, you got to see this coming. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> no, I'm not a highly metaphysical man, but I know in the middle of the road look into the eyes and you suddenly know rocking in the dance home moving with you dancing in the night out in the middle of june my mama told me don't lose you cause the best luck i had was you i said hey all right i'd mentioned a consulting call i was on this morning and I want to share just briefly a bit of it with you. Now, this is, again, I'm not sharing anything confidential or private. This is just some gen generalities because I thought some really good stuff came up. And so here, here's how it went. Um, it's sort of the, the bare gist and generalization of it. Emphasis, emphasis on deals are made, not found. Because I was asked in this consulting call, should I wait? Maybe I should wait. Maybe I should have everything like I could I could double my savings in, in the next year or, or two years. Maybe or maybe the prices are gonna come so far down that, that that would be a better time. And I had to remind this person deals, deals of the decade, good deals, great deals are made, rarely found. If everybody knows now is the perfect time, well, everybody knows. And essentially you're no longer gonna have any sort of an advantage or edge. You have to always be looking. Doesn't mean you're always taking action instantly. You may want to sit back and wait and watch, but always be watching and be prepared. Crouching, what is that? Crouching tiger, hidden dragon. I'll come up with something that applies here to, to the backyard millionaire philosophy. Uh, get your ducks in a row, like I said. And, and for example, what if I've got some home equity and I would like to liquidate some of it 
and convert it into another investment. Use it as a down payment, use it to cover closing costs, a little bit of capitalization for this next investment. Fine, except if you go to refinance and pull all your equity out or some of your equity out at today's interest rates, may not make sense. In fact, it might be really painful, especially if you've got like a 2.8 or a 3.2 or a 4 or even a 5% interest rate. And you're told, hey, we're going to refinance, going to get you some cash out so you can go make another investment. Oh, no, by the way, every penny you owe is recast at six and a half, six and three quarters. Mm -mm. That's probably not a good use of your home equity. Try a home equity line of credit from a bank versus a mortgage company. See if that works for you. Here's another tip that came out of the consultation. Again, being patient, but enjoying the hunt. You got to be able to enjoy the hunt. If you're going to be a backyard millionaire and you're going you're gonna to have four properties, you're going to own and control four properties in your own backyard, then you've got to be patient. You have to enjoy the hunt and enjoy the process. And remember, Dolph DeRusse's, uh, Dolph DeRusse's program is in his formula is 110-3-1. You might have to look at 100 properties, get really close and intimate on 10 of them, maybe make three offers and end up with a deal. And that can take some time. So you just have to be patient and enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it now, well, there's a, probably a pretty good chance you're not going to enjoy it when you get there. So just be patient. Uh, cash flow, appreciation, tax benefits, leaving a legacy. These are all good reasons why you want to become a backyard millionaire and you want to be um, investing and looking and constantly on the hunt. And remember what Frederick Nietzsche said, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. So why? Why are you investing? Know your why. And you can put up with a whole lot, especially if you're having fun on the ride. Oh, sisters, let's go down. Let's go down. Come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down. Down in the river to pray. As I went down in the all right, uh, your million-dollar word. We've been talking a lot about words today because words matter so much. How you speak equals how you think. So you can change the words you use and alter the way your brain works. You can rewire your brain simply by using different and new and better words to accomplish who it is you wish to become and become that individual. So since words matter, we're calling this your millionaire vocabulary. Today's word is copious. Copious, C-O-P-I-O-U-S. Copious means large quantity, abundance, plentiful. When Bob decided to become a backyard millionaire, he had a copious amount of negative thoughts he had to overcome. Copious. This just into the Backyard Millionaire News Desk, ripped from the headlines. That's right. FHA says home prices are up 4% year over year. 4% year over year. New Biden administration rule will hike payments for good credit buyers to subsidize high-risk mortgages. This out of Washington Times, a new federal rule. You heard this last week when Rhonda Johnson of Cornerstone Home Lending explained it. If you missed that episode, go to our website, I love Homer Alaska.com. Click on last week's episode with Rhonda Johnson. 
She breaks this whole Fannie Freddie rule down. According to the Washington Times, as of uh, yesterday's date, a new federal rule that took effect on May 1st from Biden administration says homeowners with good credit scores will soon be paying higher mortgage rates and fees to subsidize people with riskier credit ratings who are also in the market to buy a home. As I said, I, I, I don't know anybody, even, even people that are struggling to get their credit improved that are asking for, hey, would you why don't you pay a little bit more so I don't have to work on my credit? No. And our whole goal in the conversation with Rhonda last week was, wait a minute, we want to help people become better creditors, better credit risks themselves. That's way more important than this subsidy. Well, it's going to equal about 40 bucks a month. If you have a credit score of 680 or higher, it's going to cost you about $40 a month more if your mortgage is at 400000 also, in addition, buyers who with pay down payments of 15 to 20%, you're also going to be paying a higher fee as a result of people that have less money to put down. This just seems like uh, pitting classes, right? Class warfare. Let's help everybody. Rising tide lo floats all boats. Let's help everybody uh, get a better boat. Pending home sales, this just didn't. Pending home sales have dropped, according to the March stats, which are the only stats available, 5.2%. And again, that's you have to read into the context and subtext of the headline. Pending home sales is just an indicator of availability. And there's just not enough available to meet pent-up demand. So do not panic when you see headlines like that. The, the pending home sale index is not indicative of how the market's going. It's more to do with the supply side uh, versus demand. But as always, work with your local trusted realtor that you like and trust and if you don't have one i extend this invitation to you you may contact me anytime anywhere through my website ilovehomeralaska.com and i can either help find you somebody in your area or i'm happy to do a consultation with you no obligation but i i'm so passionate about passionate about you becoming a backyard millionaire and achieving your dreams that uh, we want to help you wherever you are for David Webb and myself, I'm Chris Story reminding you, and yes, I do mean you, really can make a million bucks in your own backyard. We'll see you next time. <laughs>